Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week the Living Free Show, uh, on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step recovery programs that assist uh, recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Today my guests are Kaz and Catherine, uh, and they're from Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're going to be sharing how AA has helped them to recover from alcoholism. So welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks. We usually start talking about our early life growing up, family life, things at school. So Kaz, what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, Look, I always felt a little bit different to everybody else. Uh, I was uh, adopted at a a very early age uh, to a set of parents that were a little bit older than um, most of my friends' parents. Um, And what that meant for me was this level of anxiety uh, that, that, you know, that I felt from, from really early on, whether it had been like a fear of of separation I'm not exactly sure but that's you know that's what it it, it turned out to I had this overwhelming sense of of having to cling on to my adoptive mother so much that it you know it ruined all of of those fun things when I was little I didn't want to sleep over at people's houses my poor parents used to have to drive out in the middle of the night to collect me from school camps and things like (laughs) that and um it you know it that 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 codependency uh, with with my mum and it it just it made being a, a kid and all those fun things that much harder. Um, she always needed to be where I knew she was. Even turning up for late for school would create a huge amount of anxiety for me. So um, I yeah I really depended on her to to make me feel better yeah so what sort of things did you do to help you deal with your anxiety yeah well look obviously you know when you're two or three you can't use alcohol or I certainly <laughs> couldn't but I you know I my first form of addiction I would say was food and uh, I would use that to comfort myself uh, make myself feel better and remove some of that anxiety and that in turn made a lot of things worse because the more I ate, the bigger I got and the more uncomfortable I felt in society and being accepted, especially with my father. I felt very judged by him um, and me being overweight. And, yeah, it was just, you know, a cycle. I'd feel bad about myself and the only thing that I knew what to do, you know, the only thing I knew to do to make myself feel better was to shove more food in my face and that just made me bigger and made me feel worse. So did you have problems with bullying at school? Look, I didn't. I went to a girls-only school. Um, I had an amazing group of friends, um, but my friends were my friends and I didn't stray outside of them. They were like my little protective shield. Um, I went to, as I said, a girls-only school and the girls could be really, really nasty. So I had my little group of friends and I I didn't stray further than than that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what about you, Catherine? What was life like growing up 
Um, well, I grew up surrounded by alcohol um, and alcoholics. You know, my, my I believe my grandparents were um, alcoholics. Um, I remember my nana always having a glass of whiskey in her hand and a pack of Cerapax in the other. <laughs> That's my memories of her. Um, and I'm I'm pretty sure my mum was an was an alcoholic. Not so sure about my dad. But they were daily drinkers and they partied at weekends. So yep. there was a lot of alcohol and I thought it was normal. My mum was also um, had bipolar disorder and, you know, at a very early age I couldn't understand it. And she um, was quite an agitated woman, a very angry woman, and she was often hospitalised and I, I couldn't understand why. And... Um, I remember as an early age, um, you know, dad coming home from work and she'd be in a foul mood starting to get dinner ready and, and he'd come in and they'd crack open their, their beer and have peanuts and, you know, everything changed with mum. I, I can just remember her relaxing and we used to have sips of beer and, you know, and I, I used to love that time and, you know, looking back now I think, you know, mum, yeah, she just, she completely changed. Um, but I always, growing up, I felt like I was always on tippy toes, you know, around her. Um, I found it hard fitting in at school. Um, I so, lived in my own head a lot. I was um, bullied quite a bit yeah. um, and I was pigeon-toed. <laughs> and, you know, I remember... A group of girls mimicking me, you know, and I was just, you know, so upset, um, you know, and I didn't tell anyone. I'd, I wouldn't come home from school and tell mum and dad, you know, what had happened. Um, but growing, growing up in an alcoholic family, you don't share a lot at home. No. No. Not at all. No. No. Because it's used against you. It's, yeah, those sort of things were, um, were often not discussed. You know, I remember wanting to live in another family. You know, I was jealous of my friend's family life. Um, mum was um, on occasions physically violent and it wasn't so much the physical pain, it was the emotional torture with me and it's something that, you know, I didn't share with anybody until I told um, someone at the age of 35, you know. That's, that's a long time to hold a really big secret. Yeah. And, you know, I had flashbacks every day. Um, Did you feel ashamed of your family? Yeah. I was ashamed of mum. Um, I had – my sisters were a lot older than me. I mean, I did have – good relationships with them but like you know the older two moved out of home very early um and and they didn't know what was going on at home um and my sister my next sister was four years older and she was drinking every weekend and and taking drugs you know um so pretty normal yeah this life yeah, yeah it was just normal and then i followed in suit yeah so how old were you when you started drinking about 13 um, I had a group of friends and um, we would drink at the weekends. But I always noticed I, I drank more than them, you know, and I had access to liquor because of it being at home. Um, I could sneak 
beer, wine, you know, and my parents had a really big liquor cabinet and I used to pour bits of every bottle into a into a bottle. I think we called it zombies and I'd drink the whole lot, you know, and then I'd just fall down. Yeah. You know, I was always um, a lot drunker than everyone else. Yeah. So how did it make you feel? It gave me a lot of confidence um, and it's, it's how I learnt to... Um, talk to boys um, because I was so shy, you know. I was so shy. Um, You know, I remember I think the first time I got really drunk, you know, and I was at a Midnight Oil free concert and, you know, I'd kissed about three boys and had a neck full of love bites and I just felt great, you know. It gave me confidence, (laughs) you know. Um, But, you know, I I didn't realise at the time that, you know, the alcohol was doing it wasn't until a bit later that I realised just, you know, what it was doing. Yep, okay. Uh, so back to you, Kaz. Um, so when did you start drinking then? Food food got you where you wanted to be. but did. Yeah. Uh, Why but did you use alcohol? Look, it was what was going on at the time. You yep. know, we were 15, we were 16, we'd met um, a great group of guys and we would all go out on the weekends or hang out at a friend's house and we would drink and and like Catherine said it was that 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 social lubrication that that instant feeling of um being a part of and having more confidence you know I could talk to anybody and uh feel great and for me you know at, at that age it wasn't an issue I was that girl that could remember everything in the night and I was the girl holding back my friend's hair you know when they're vomiting in the garden it yeah. it, it and for me I really noticed the difference you know alcohol was something that we we drank on the weekends but it wasn't an obsession you know it wasn't something that we thought about until it came around to the next weekend when we had to work out how to get our alcohol again <laughs> so did it make you feel less anxious yes instantly yeah um you know, I, I suffered quite severe panic attacks about the age of 18 and that's, yeah, I discovered that, that you know, a couple of, of drinks and that anxiety was completely gone. Yeah. So why did you, or did you continue drinking? I did. Yeah. Uh, be, uh, you know, what what I'd consider binge drinking on the weekends um, and I, you know, I surrounded myself with people who drank the same as me. Uh, it was completely acceptable. There was nothing at that time that that made anybody question my drinking because I was always with people that drank like me. Yeah. So what did your family think? Um, look, there was no issue at all at that time. Um, there were no warning signs. I wasn't drinking um, inappropriately. I wasn't drinking... Um, to, to alert anybody that there was anything wrong. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, back to you then, Catherine. Um, so when did your drinking really take off? Um, I probably... Um, look, it went in stages. It progressively got worse. You know, I could say yeah. in my 20s I realised that um, even though all my friends drank a lot... I was always the opposite to what Kaz said. I was always the one with the girls holding my hair up. <laughs> I was always the one getting taken home. 
you know, and I remember I always used to be crying when I was really drunk. Oh, you know, I was really, a really, really miserable, you know. And then I'd wake up sober the next day and just forget about it. And, you know, people started, friends were starting to get upset with me because I was embarrassing them, you know. So what I'd do is I'd just go out with another group of friends the next night that knew nothing about what had happened the night before. So I was also drinking a lot more than my friends. Like, they might have a a break for three nights after (laughs) a big night out, but I'd just keep going, you know. And and I was going to work hungover every day. Um, And then I developed really bad panic attacks. And it was quite – they were quite debilitating. And I was off work for – a really long time and was seen by a psychiatrist and therapy wasn't working because um, I was honest about my drinking but he didn't seem to think the drinking was causing it but knew that it was making them worse. But I was dishonest about... I'd sort of clued on to um, why I was having them. It was, you know, things like... Growing up in fear always of my mum walking on tippy toes, getting bullied at school, like I'd learnt this fear behaviour and, you know, I don't know how they started, um, what triggered them off, but I knew that that sort of behaviour can lead to a panic attack disorder. Um, So eventually I went on medication and my solution at that stage to um, life was actually go overseas for six months on my own and just forget that I'd had panic attacks um, and take my medication. So geographical. Yeah, I did a geographical. (laughs) Um, And then I came back, um, still drinking, and got married and, you know, I hit, hit my 30s and um, was a daily drinker at that stage. Um, and it slowly increased, you know. Um, I was waking up horrifically hungover every morning saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm not going to drink tonight. I'd be calling in sick a lot. Um, and I'd also realised that I wasn't in love with my husband and I just, I didn't know what to do. Um, And, you know, I lived a fairly miserable life looking back on it now, you know, and it was hidden from my family and and my friends um, because we were in the country. Um, So socially I'd still see people and I was finding then that sometimes I'd have to have a few drinks to socialise, especially if I'd had a really heavy you know, night the night before with drinking. Um, and then a, f- a few things happened in a sort of short period of time. I, I um, my marriage, I got leukaemia um, that was life-threatening and um, I spent a really long time in hospital um, having chemo and um, it was a 50% chance I was told that I would actually get out of hospital Um and whilst in hospital, there's so much going on, you know, you don't think about it that much. And then I got into remission, you know, I was really, really lucky. Um, but then I got told that I had a 50% chance of relapsing and, you know, I knew that that could be death um, or a transplant and um, not many, you know, not at that stage with treatment, not many people made it through and certainly my time in Box Hill I saw a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. 
And I just blocked it out and didn't speak to people. Um, you know, people would want to come over and see me, my parents, you know, because I didn't work for another year and a half or two years, I think. And I'd just say I was busy because um, I didn't want to – I just lived in fear. I was, I was dying inside and I, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, I didn't share it with anyone. And shortly after that, my marriage broke up. Um, which was sort of a relief in a way because it was an end to something that, you know, um, I'd been living this lie to everyone else that I was in a happy marriage. And um, life changed. It became fantastic and I became this 40-year-old party girl again and and then I was displaying really bizarre behaviour. And well, I got... so We might stop there because yep. you've jumped just a little bit ahead. <laughs> I'll go back to you, Kaz. Um, yes. I just wanted to. So, in your um, late teens, yes. you're still uh, you're drinking, you're eating, yes, and you formed a relationship. I did. Yeah. I I met a boy um, who was my first boyfriend, and I sort of never let him go. Um, I, I think I was too afraid to venture further than that. Um, he was my first boyfriend. We were together for eight years and then we got married. Um, at, you know, I was, I was 26 when I got married, so now I look back on it, I think, you know, I was so young. Um, and, look, you know, it, it, it was just normal, you know, normal going out, drinking, um, it, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't until I decided that I wanted to get pregnant um, and, you know, I was extremely overweight and I didn't want that to affect myself or my pregnancy. So I decided to get weight loss surgery uh, and I never got any treatment as to why, you know, I was eating. So all of a sudden the tool that I used to make myself feel better was removed um, and I couldn't eat anymore. But you know, there, I could always drink. Um, alcohol replaced um, the the tool that I had, which was food. And, you know, that that was such an instant relief. Uh, you know, it worked better than food because, uh, you know, two glasses of, 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 of alcohol and all of my anxieties were gone. Um, and doubly upon... Not only using alcohol, um, I was then, you know, the lightest I'd ever been and I started to uh, get the attention, male attention that I'd never received in my life. Uh, and I did the thing, like, as Catherine said, I started to become this party person that I never, never had been before in my early 30s. I had an 18-month-old baby at home and I would use any excuse to be able to go out and drink uh, and my behaviour was uh, certainly not appropriate for a married woman and it created a huge amount of guilt for me and, you know, the guilt I would then drink on and then with um, drinking my behaviour would be worse and my anxiety would be worse and I would wake up in the mornings or the next day and that anxiety was terrible and then I would drink because of the guilt and the anxiety and I ended up in this really vicious circle uh, of of you know and i couldn't i couldn't get out of it and my husband he you know he was very heavily involved with his sports 
and he was out quite a lot and he you know he was quite happy not to be going out on the weekends and partying so I didn't even have anyone really pulling me up at the time so it kind of enabled me to to continue with this bad behavior okay right also we might take a quick break panoply panorama panpipe pansy aha pansexual knowing no boundaries of sex or gender Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our previous shows, we have over 106 episodes available as podcasts from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. If you want to contact us, you can call via 3CR on 9419 8377, email us at 3 free at gmail.com or we're on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. I'm talking with Kaz and Catherine about recovery from alcoholism and how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped them. Uh, So uh, I'll go back to you, Catherine. Um, So during your drinking, did any of your family ever pick up on the fact that they felt your drinking was excess? They didn't pick up on the fact that it was sort of I had an alcohol problem they picked up on I might be out with them and I got too drunk. So they normally addressed it like, hey, you got really drunk last night and embarrassed yourself. Um, my um, husband would also, you know, say the same thing, um, you know, and it got to the stage where he would actually get anxious before we'd go out to a social function um, about how much I'd drink so, yeah, that there was a little bit of concern, but no one ever actually sat me down um, at that stage. Yeah. So you mentioned before relationships, you had lots of friends, so you could choose who to drink with. Yeah. But did anybody cut you off? Um, later in life? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I did. I certainly did get cut off from a lot of friends because of my drinking yeah. um, around my 40s. Yeah. Okay. So um, when did you sort of present a I'm okay on the outside? I certainly did. Um, I said earlier, I had a great job and I got promoted, um, you know, and I had a company car. So I I looked pretty good to to most people. And um, at that stage... No one – I drank at a local pub, so other friends didn't know how much I was actually drinking and what I was getting up to. Um, I did have one particular girlfriend, a close girlfriend that's always stayed by me, that was worried, but she never said anything to me. Wow. Um, and, you know, I look back now and I think, you know, maybe th- there were other people that never said anything to me either. Yeah. What about your partners? Did they – were they – 
critical of your drinking? I, I lost partners because of my drinking. I, you know, I recently I had to make amends with my ex-husband and we spoke about it. And um, he said, yeah, you drank a lot, but you're also a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, Most um, alcoholics are up to yeah. <laughs> um, But I think, um, you know, I remember he didn't want to have um, I, I have children because I was looking at adopting or fostering um, a child after I'd been sick with um, the leukaemia. Um, and he didn't want a bar of it. And he didn't say my drinking was the reason, but I think... He sort of knew that he didn't want to have a child with me yeah, because right. of my drinking. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't want to have had a child with me either at that stage. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have been capable of yeah. looking after a child. Yeah. So did alcohol bring you comfort or did it cause you as many problems yeah. as it brought? When I was on my own, I hated being on my own. I hated feeling lonely. Um I hated being in my head. Um, I guess I didn't like who I was. Um, and drinking just took that all away. You know, look, I when I lost, there was a, a time where I lost quite a few friends and, you know, and I used to justify it. You know, that was part of my alcoholism, that I would justify everything. Um, but when I was on my own... And really sad, um, I'd drink because, you know, I didn't like being sad. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. I didn't like the feeling at all. So, you know, I tried to block every feeling with alcohol. Mm. Okay. Um, so, Kaz, you finished up last session talking about becoming discontent in your marriage and sort of mm-hmm. going out yes. a lot. So how did that affect your marriage? Um, look, it... It made me start to pull away from my husband. Uh, he seemed to be quite happy with the life that we leaded, a little bit of his head stuck in the sand, so he didn't really see any issues. And I started, I suppose, to get quite resentful with him not being involved uh, with... By this stage, I, I also had my son, so I had two, you know, gorgeous kids that, that I adored, but he didn't seem to be overly interested in in being what I would have thought the best, you know, the best dad he could be. And I became really resentful of him. And, it, you know, in the end, it made me fall out of, of love with him. And he also... I, I saw him at the end as he was blocking my me being able to go out and, and, and have fun. I always could see that I thought the grass was greener. I thought that there was something better for me out there. And, um, and, and you know, and the alcohol as well. That I put that in the front of everything. And so I ended up separating from him because that meant that I could go out and do what I wanted and there wasn't anyone there judging me at the end of the night with, you know, how much was left in that bottle of wine. So how did that affect your relationship with your kids? Look, my kids were quite young and they were – I was always the the caregiver. Um, there wasn't a dramatic change for them. Um, they took it really well. I was quite surprised. Um, 
but you know this is really there was now nobody there supervising me or my drinking and you know this was at the stage where things really started to ramp up and um as my drinking progressed it started to become a daily thing and my daughter who was you know now two years older uh was starting to become scared of of my drinking you know she would she would walk past and smell my drinks to see if you know if there was alcohol in them even in the morning you know I would I wouldn't drink out of wine glasses because then people would know I'd drink out of a coffee mug you know she'd drink she'd she'd have a smell of that and and just give me this fearful look um and as a mother that's that's heartbreaking but it didn't stop me um that alcohol was still more important than um the you know the the worry in my you know in my kids eyes yeah so could you keep on functioning uh barely yes look you know my anxiety got really really bad the more i drank the more my anxiety um increased I was um, having to drink like a bottle of wine to be able to go to the supermarket. You know, it, it, it progressed really quickly. Um, you know, I wasn't like that for years, but it 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 was so quick to see. Um, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't have um, you know actually hit rock bottom and mm. decided to do something about it. Yeah. it so what? Progressive. So what caused you to hit rock bottom? I picked up my daughter from school um, and I had been drinking quite a bit during the day and I had one of my first blackouts uh, with the kids in the car and I got home and I was horrified with myself and putting them in danger, putting other people in danger. Um, And I had had a discussion with a friend a few months earlier about my drinking. Um, She was slightly concerned, not overly concerned, but she'd given me a piece of paper that had details about a rehab. Um, And that was, yeah, like six months ago. And the thought of needing a rehab was ridiculous. Like I'm thinking, this is so over the top, you know, I don't need 28 days in a rehab. But six months later, you know, I I was going to the fridge, to the top of the fridge to get that piece of paper that I'd kept. Um, and, you know, calling a rehab for help. Okay. Thank you. Um, Catherine, um, partying again at 40, Mm. so were you able to, had you lost any of your stamina from your 20s? No, it it actually doubled. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I became pretty wild, but... It was when um, the diagnosis came of bipolar. So we sort of put the partying and the extra drinking um, and obviously I, I, I was very manic down to the bipolar. And um, I remember the psychiatrist saying to me that, um, like, he knew half of what I drank. Of course I wasn't going yeah. to tell him how much yeah. I drank. So he <laughs> said you might, <laughs> yeah, he might not want to be my psychiatrist. Um he said, you might find that um, once the medication starts working and um, that your drinking will stop. And I was like, yay, there's a reason. And he said, you know, you, you've probably had bipolar from the first time you presented with panic attacks. Sometimes bipolar can present like that. So, yeah, it all made sense and, you know. And at that stage I wasn't looking at my family history of alcohol or the fact that I had a sister that was an alcoholic, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but um, 
Unfortunately, my bipolar sort of became stable as such, uh, but my, my, my drinking continued and it progressively yeah. increased and got worse. Yeah. So what was your rock bottom? Um, my rock bottom was um, I was having it, – it sort of started with benders that I would lock myself away, you know, blinds down, drinking, you know, an enormous amount of wine over a week, you know, and these, and then I'd get back to work and everything would be okay, and I'd just, but I'd still be drinking every night, and that was increasing and increasing, and then I just, I couldn't get back to work, and um, I went to New Zealand to stay with um, my partner's parents, um, and they don't drink, and. I was a mess. I was riddled with anxiety and um, I was hiding drinking and I couldn't drink in front of them and my partner didn't realise I was doing this there and I was, you know, I had wine under the bed, I was sculling it, I couldn't get out of bed. It was a horrific two weeks. I was driving off, we had a hire car and pretending I was going for a drive and to get a coffee and sculling a bottle of wine um, and I realised that I I couldn't get out of it. I um, wasn't going to bounce back how I had in the past and that I had to face it. But it, it then took another six months before I did. Okay. Well, so we'll take another break. Tune in to Power from the Margins. 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, will feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show. On 3CR, on digital radio, and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm chatting with Kaz and Catherine about um, alcoholism and recovery through AA. Uh, so, Kaz, getting into treatment, mm-hmm. what was that like for you, and what was the separation from your family like? Yeah, look, it was probably the toughest period to begin with that I'd ever faced. Um, you know, I know I knew I needed help and I was really lucky when I called the rehab because, you know, I was admitted within a few days. Um, and look, my housemate had done some investigations into the rehab and he said, oh, you do realise that it's um, abstinence-based program. I'm thinking, well, of course, you know, you're not going to serve wine with dinner at a <laughs> rehab. But I didn't realise that I'd never be able to, you know, to never drink. I didn't understand the disease of alcoholism. I didn't understand the concept of that. So to begin with, when I went in there, I really, it wasn't too scary because I didn't, um, I thought they were going to teach me to drink like a normal person. You know, yeah. I thought there was a trick that somewhere along the line I just hadn't learned yeah. yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't take long. Um, you know, I walked through those doors and reality hit, you know, my mum left me and, 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 and um, I just, you know, I was in tears for four days because I, you know, this codependency that I, that had followed me with my with my mum and then my my husband had had fallen upon my children, and I could not imagine life without them for for that period of time. You know, the first seven days you're not even allowed to make a phone call, and I had left my daughter 
um, terrified. Um, she didn't know what was going on. So I was so, yeah, for the first four days I was just miserable. I cried all the time. And it wasn't until I finally had my first session with, with uh, the psychologist there and he broke down that, that, that the thing of codependency and um, why I was feeling the way I was that I understood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it changed everything. You know, I, I, it, was, it was like magical words. It finally understood why I'd felt so, um, so scared and so alone. And, um, yeah, you, it turned that scary process into the start of, of the recovery for me. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the first... That was where I was introduced to AA. We, you know, we go out. We went when I was well enough. We went out on a bus, and I did my first meeting. So, what's your first meeting like? Um, I nearly vomited when I walked through the front door. I was so nervous. <laughs> um, and when I get to the front door, because I had no idea, the only thing I'd ever seen there was, you know, you see see it in movies occasionally. Um, people, you know, going around the room IDing. But when I walked into this meeting, there's these cheery people at the front door with lollies welcoming me. And there was a sense of community. As soon as I hit that room, mm. everyone was friendly. Um, everyone was welcoming. And, um, you know, you sit down and you start to hear your story from these people that you've never met before. And I'd kept my drinking very secret. And I was, it was like I was bursting to be able to tell um, or admit what I'd done. And I finally had a safe place to do that. Um, I was very um, unsure of the concept of AA because I'd, I'd never had any um, background in any religion. So the, the word God um, and the steps on the wall were quite intimidating. But I found that AA was, you know, really gentle with that kind of stuff. You you recover gradually um, and and that type of stuff isn't forced down your throat. I was, you know, it was explained to me very early on that the um, the concept of God, you know, it doesn't have to be a scary God that you might have, you know, learnt at school with this man in robes and, and and things up in the clouds. It's just a higher power. It's something that's greater and bigger than you. And and that made it much more palatable. Made it much more easy for me to understand. Mm, okay, um, so. Catherine, um, getting into rehab, what was that like for you, going from the, the party style to the rehab? It, it was pretty frightening, um, but I, I knew I couldn't go on. And um, my sister rang me one day and said, you need to go into rehab. And um, five years prior to that, I'd actually put one of my other sisters in the same rehab. <laughs> um, and so I, I knew a bit about it, um, but I knew I had to go in. And really, that's all at that stage I was thinking about. I just knew because I was um, topping up and drinking 24 hours, um I knew I needed to be detoxed, and and really that's where my thoughts were at were at that stage. The thought of being there a month was pretty hard, um, but anyway, I I I went in um, willingly, um, 
And then I got in there and I didn't take much in. Very different to Kaz's experience. <laughs> um, I, for a start, one of my girlfriends was in there that I did. So we spent a lot of time talking <laughs> and not paying that much attention to the program. And, and I believe I was just still really sick, even after the 28 days, that, that um, it had taken me so long to detox. And I think in the back of my mind, I didn't realise that then I actually thought I could drink again. Mm. one day that I just needed to get better. I went to the AA meetings and, you know, I was willing to do anything and they told us, get a sponsor, try and get one before you get out, which I did, go to a meeting every day, um, etc. And I did all those things, and um, but um, I picked up smoking pot <laughs> <laughs> and didn't realise um, and I thought I'd be different. And it wouldn't affect me, but of course it led straight back to a relapse, and um, I went back into rehab. So I was in and out of rehab for some time um, because I couldn't surrender. It just it took me so long to realise that I could never have another drink, you know. And um, it just happened one day. Something came over me after my last time in there. And I came out and I fell on my knees and I rang my sponsor and I said, I can't keep doing this. I've got to be honest. And, you know, then we started talking about the whole way. And that was an 18-month period in and out of rehab. I, I was having thoughts like, you know, I knew about the steps and I'd started them quite a few times, but, you know, had relapsed, you know, and I thought, well, if I do four and five where I deal with all my resentments and get them out of the way and say sorry, you know, say sorry to people and fix yeah. all of that up, I'll be right then to go on and drink. drink yeah. And I wasn't sharing those thoughts <laughs> yeah. with my sponsor or anyone else. Um, or, you know, I'll just give it a couple of years and maybe I could go back to how I was, just a daily drunk. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was okay because I still hadn't recognised how bad and how unmanageable and how dysfunctional my life had actually been. Mm. But it just sort of, as time went on and, you know, they sat, I just kept going to meetings, I kept praying to I don't know who, but it just all finally started, you know, happening in, and I found some relief and I found some relief in me and some, some peace, um... And, you know, it's changed my life. Okay, thanks. Uh, back to you, Kez. Mm -hmm. So being an AA now, mm -hmm. so how's it changed your relationship to your kids? Look, my kids are so proud of me. Um, and, you know, it's really lucky because I go to meetings at, at that when I need to, I'm able to take them to. Yep. So they're familiar with what happens at a meeting. It doesn't scare them. Um, they can talk about anything. They know a lot of the members. Um, and it's it's just taken something for me that was so I was so secretive has has removed that. You know, my daughter and I can talk about anything now. And I've always said, you know, if you're ever concerned about me, these are the people that you can you can speak to. Um, and that's pretty pretty amazing because we never had anybody like that 
um, before I kept everything secret. My, my poor kids had no idea what was going on. Yeah. yeah. So what about relationships generally? Um, you know, I, I drank originally to try and form friendships and relationships, and by the end it had done the absolute opposite and I was completely isolated. So going into the rooms, it was like I had to learn how to, to be social, especially without having a drink in my hand. So one of the things that I'm so grateful for AA for is that it taught me how to be able to be social without being drunk. Um, and through the rooms I have met, you know, they're most amazing people. The The people that you meet in the rooms are, are so varied Um that you know that there's so many different people and so many different um groups of people now that i that i know that i just never knew before it's it's great and i yeah some of my best friends now are in the rooms yeah and probably they know more about you than your family yes absolutely (laughs) you know it's not look how many groups of people do you know i mean there probably are but you know i you share at meetings for 10 15 minutes and um and and they know our inner life you know, back to yeah. front, we send great gratitude lists in the morning and yeah. and resentment lists and things at the end of the night. There's no hiding behind anything now. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So what about you, Catherine? So what are your relationships like now that you're sober? Um, well, I certainly have a different relationship with my partner. Yeah. Um, he, he, he trusts me um, because in our relationship when I was drinking, he um, I couldn't cook. I couldn't do anything, mm. you know. Some nights, because I wouldn't eat, he'd want to try and hand feed me. <laughs> you know, I was, I was like a baby. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we we have a really good relationship now. He's very understanding of my recovery. He's really proud of me. You know, for the first time in my life, I've got people that are uh, quite proud of me and my self-esteem was so low that it's amazing. Um, some relationships... I've probably lost forever, um, and you know that's you know I've learning through the program. I've learnt to accept it. You know, without the program, I wouldn't have been able to accept it. But you know, um, some relationships have formed again. You know, from ten years ago. Yeah. You know, and um, it, it's been great. Um, and with family, um, my parents are both now deceased and I was in heavy addiction um, when they both passed on. Um, with one of my sisters, I now regularly see. Um, the other two sisters I don't see, the one that drinks I don't see, and the older one. And, and at the moment, because I'm only, you know, I'm, I'm still new in recovery um, and I'm guided by my sponsor a lot and we're just leaving some of my relationships yeah. until I get a little bit more sort of time up. Yep. yep. That's a good idea. Okay. Well, listen, um, we're just about at time. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them on one three hundred triple two triple two, or you can go online at aa.org.au. Um, yeah, so I think we've just about run out of time today. So I'd like to thank Kaz and Catherine for coming in to 3CR Studio and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank, thank you, you for having, having us. us. Yeah. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week uh, when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction and we'll be joined by Ellen Summer from Narcotics Anonymous. 
Uh, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Living Free program today. And to take us out, we've got a song called Future by Beth King and Hemingway Company. Pausing in the present and we're so hyper away Insufficiency of paper trying hard to care But evolution now has led to such great stagnancy Killing revolution to preserve hegemony Stepping on and saying